remember it. I remember it very vividly. And if the if they haven't renovated the building, if I can still take you to that office, I can show you the spot where I got down before Jesus. And I feel like I distinctly heard him say, Steve, it's not how many people hear your voice on Sunday. It's how many people hear my voice on Sunday. Welcome to the Send Columbus podcast, a podcast designed to share strategies and stories about planting churches in the city. Your hosts are church planting catalyst, Chad Grigsby and Send City missionary, Dean Foltz. Welcome back to another podcast, Send Columbus podcast. I'm Chad and Dean is here with me. Dean, how are you doing today? Doing great. Doing great. Uh, we'll say thanks to Chili Verde for sponsoring the podcast today. We're grateful for them. If you like southwestern style food, uh, Chili Verde, they've got uh, two locations in the city, actually. Mm, who doesn't like southwestern food? That's right. And if you haven't seen the meme of the baby who tastes queso for the first time, just Google it. That's very good. That is very good. good. That is a recent uh, going around the internet there. Well, it's good. All right. Well, um, we're excited for our guest today. Uh, Dean, would you like to introduce our guest? Yeah, we are so privileged today to have Steve Hopkins with us. Um, I could sit and opine the influence Steve has had in my life, but I, I'll tell you just a couple times. When I was in college, when I met Steve, he was pastoring a church here in Columbus Whitehall Baptist Church and gave me opportunities as a college student to serve. Uh, another opportunity that he brought into my life. Uh, he did a post-it note timeline exercise that really just helped me understand me at one point in ministry that was super pivotal in my calling. And uh, so we're super grateful to have Steve. Thanks for being with us today. Hey, thanks. It's uh, great to be with you guys. Yeah. Well, tell us a little bit about your kind of call to ministry and how you ended up uh, serving at the state convention in Ohio. Sure. Um, well, I, I grew up here in Ohio, grew up in a little town called Brookville, which is over uh, west of Dayton. We were about halfway between Dayton, Ohio, and Richmond, Indiana, right on Interstate 70, just a real small place. And if you uh, drive by over there now and you um, you see that sign out there that says at the exit, childhood home of Steve Hopkins, uh, be sure to let me know if, <laughs> if it's... Uh, if it's droopy, you got to let me know. I get my cardboard and my marker out and I go back and make a new one. So, uh, but uh, this little, little town there where I grew up and uh, I grew up in a pastor's home um, and grew up with people when I was real young, pat me on the head and say, you're going to grow up and be a preacher like your daddy. And I remember inside, not externally, but inside just screaming, no. Uh, and it wasn't because I had, I didn't have the kind of bad experience that a lot of preacher's kids have. Um, my problem was I had such a huge respect for what I saw my father doing. I never believed I could do that. And uh, so for me, for you to say you're going to be a preacher like your daddy was just a huge load of responsibility that I didn't think I could handle. And um, remember in my um, senior year of high school, uh, we did the, back then, you know, you did the youth revival things, Friday through Saturday and Sunday. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had a team come in from college, uh, a college down in Kentucky that uh, led us in a youth revival. And the, so the guy that was the preacher, quote, on the team was not too far from my age. And so we did the youth lock-in thing at night. In the middle of the night, he and I took a walk out around the, the property to get some fresh air. And... Um, I asked him, I said, how did you know God called you to preach? Because I felt like God was doing a work in my heart. 
but I was just in, scared to death of, of what it might mean. And I said, how'd you really know? And he said, well, um, I don't know for sure, but he said, I've, I've told God I'm, I'm willing to try. And that kind of just, it released me to think, okay, maybe I don't have to be the, what I see my dad right now. I just got to be willing and available. And uh, so my call to the ministry was, uh, I remember in a revival service the next spring, that was in the fall and the spring of my senior year, um, just going forward and taking my pastor father by the hand and saying, I'm not sure God's called me to this, but I want God to know that I'm willing and available and I'm willing to try. And so that started my journey. And uh, of course, if my wife were here, she would make some quip about how all my preaching is very trying, but that's, <laughs> that's her. Um, you married uh, up, by the way, buddy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no doubt about it. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. So, when I worked for the state convention in Arkansas, my wife used to travel. Wife and kids would travel with me a little bit. But before she would agree to go, she would always ask me what sermon I was going to be preaching at the yeah. church. <laughs> And if she'd heard it before or multiple times, yeah. she declined. And then she quit asking and just quit going altogether. So I don't know what that's yeah. about. Yeah. No, no, the feeling. So, <laughs> so that started my journey. So I went into to college and uh, went on to seminary then and, um, and just, you know, started pastoring while I was wait, in wait, college. Wait, 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 wait. You're skipping a very important point. Okay. You, uh, Tell everybody about your college football experience, because one of the big deals about Brookville, right, the reason the sign is up over in Brookville is because we're talking about an all-state middle linebacker here. Ooh. Yeah, no, not hardly. <laughs> uh, kind of like that. Yeah, yeah, it, in, in my memory. My, yeah, I'm, I'm always better in my memory than I, than I was, yeah. I did play a little football, and I did go down to college, uh, but, and of course, this is the truth, true side of the story. I was, uh, you know, in, in high school, a small high school, I was a big kid. Uh, when I went to college, I wasn't so big. Um, and uh, I, I was not very, I played offensive tackle and I wasn't very big for a tackle and I made up for it by being slow. So, uh, uh, but I, you know, yeah, I spent a few years on the college football field, but I was a long way from being a star. So, uh, <laughs> Well, lucky for you, there are no signs of CTE or anything like that today, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Or maybe there is. Maybe that's my problem. But anyway, so, yeah. So, so you were saying seminary, I think, is before Dean Ridley interrupted you. That's okay, yeah. Uh, and then I, I, my first church uh, out of seminary was the uh, Woodsfield Baptist Church, which is over on the eastern side of the state, uh, over close to Seneca Lake in that area. And then uh, did a sojourn back into Kentucky and pastor for a while, and then came to Whitehall Baptist Church, where I first met Dean, and uh, you know, just an incredible time there. And God did some really special things there, so it's good. Yeah, Whitehall. I was talking to Chad before we started today. Whitehall um, has such a great history in Ohio of church planting. I remember when I was a student at Ohio State and just kind of getting to know churches in the city. And when I would ask about their origin, it seemed like so many of them had been planted out of Whitehall. And, um, you know, today, I guess Whitehall Baptist really doesn't exist in the form that we knew it 
And, um, but their legacy is told in the life of so many other churches. So if you just take a minute, just talk a little bit about that, Steve, about the, the yeah. history at Whitehall. Sure. And, and that's, that's really a, a, a strong part of my story, how God shaped and formed me. Uh, when I went to Whitehall Baptist Church, the pastor before me was a good guy. and I'm not, He didn't do anything wrong. But he had the vision that Whitehall would become a regional church. And he had located property out on 270 that was very visible. And and Whitehall was located back in a neighborhood where it was not very visible. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and he had found that property and really believed that God was going to give him that property and they were going to move. And it just didn't happen. And And he left. And when I came, the search committee presented to me that our vision as a church is to be a regional church. And and that's because that's what the pastor had been sharing with them. And they believed that and bought into it. And after I'd been there two years, um, what really happened, and it relates to what you just said, Dean, uh, we were getting ready to celebrate the 40th anniversary of the church. And uh, so in preparation for celebrating the 40th anniversary of the church, one of the things I thought would be cool to do would be a, do a church tree to show all of the churches that we had planted and then the churches those churches had planted. And I remember sitting in my office one day when I, I just kind of had sketched it out on a piece of paper and gone back through some books. And in its first 40 years of existence, Whitehall had 32 either children church or grandchildren church. Ah, that's incredible. Yeah. And in in their first 10 years of existence, they planted 10 churches that were still in existence on their 40th anniversary. Mm -hmm. And uh, all of those 32 churches, I could, I could track on our 40th anniversary. They, so they weren't just flash in the pan starts. They had been plants that had survived. And, and as a big part of um, uh, an encounter that I had with the Lord Jesus in that moment, uh, I, re- I remember it. I remember it very vividly. And if the if they haven't renovated the building, if I could still take you to that office, mm. I could show you the spot where I got down before Jesus. And I feel like I distinctly heard him say, Steve, it's not how many people hear your voice on Sunday. It's how many people hear my voice on Sunday. Mm, come wow. on. Come on. Wow. And and I remember standing up to the before the church shortly after that and saying, you know, folks, I, I've just been praying over our history as a church as we get ready for this 40th anniversary. And I re- really believe that our spiritual DNA is that we're to be a church planting church. Not that we're going to quit trying to grow and quit trying to reach people here. That 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 was not the issue. But that we really needed to put instead of our all of our energy in trying to become a regional church, that we needed to put a lot of energy into planting churches. And guys, it was almost as if um, the, the the church body collectively went mm-hmm. kind of like you know we we've, we've been trying to be somebody we're not. Yeah. And. And and this is who we were. This is our spiritual DNA. Mm-hmm. And in the next two years, we planted three churches. Um, uh, now, one of those three did not survive. Uh, one was a work we tried in Bexley, and I'm so excited to see uh, Paramount Church there in Bexley now because we tried that back in the 90s, and 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 that one didn't didn't survive. But the the other two, one of them was a language work, and. And it was going, and um, and so the, the other two are still in existence. But 
but yeah, it, it, it was, it was really that, that moment when, when I felt like that I just heard the voice of Jesus saying, Hey, what's real important is how many people hear my voice and church planning is one of the ways that you can be a part of doing that. Yeah, that's fantastic. I, I loved, um, I love your, you're talking about spiritual DNA. In fact, we were in a training session with some church planters um, a couple of weeks ago. And I think you were talking about that spiritual DNA and I think it applies to churches, mm-hmm. but it also applies to planters. And would you elaborate a little bit more on that and how to pay attention to your spiritual DNA, maybe as a church, but also as a planter? I thought that was really good. Sure. Yeah. And I think, and it makes reference back to something Dean shared earlier about doing those post-it note timelines. I think, you know, it goes back to Henry Blackaby's principle that whatever God's getting ready to do next in your life, he's been preparing you for. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it certainly doesn't, that doesn't mean God can't do a new thing and, and God does new things, but there's always some pattern there, a DNA. There's, there's something God's built into you that he is preparing you for what he wants to do next. And so, you know, and I, and I do see some planters at times that, you know, they, they, they want to, you know, uh, go out there and do a totally new thing, which again, I'm not against new things, but they need to find out what it is God's uniquely designed them to do. Mm-hmm. And then I think too, the other big piece of that, that you guys know, and, and, and you guys teach so well is that, they need to discover how God is at work in their unique community. That the church plants aren't going to look the same everywhere. Uh, that that we're not all going to do it like Vance Pittman did in Las Vegas. Uh, and 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 you know, I'll date myself back in the days when, you know, when everybody was looking at Rick Warren out there at Saddleback. It was amazing how many pastors I saw at conventions wearing Hawaiian shirts and wearing no socks and, <laughs> and, and, and thinking that, you know, they were going to do exactly what he did in Southern California in Northern Ohio. And it just, you know, you'll freeze to death doing that. First. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you a, know. a lot of good things you can copy and paste from models, but what the t- teaching pastor wears. No, is not the not best yeah. 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 So I, I think really it is important just to discover how God has been at work in your life, how he's been shaping you and how he's been forming you and that you just bring yourself a big word for me is alignment. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I really want to constantly and consistently be seeking alignment with what the father is doing in my heart and what he's doing in the world around me and what he's doing in the lives around me. And, um, you know, every, every once in a while somebody says, you know, my car's out of alignment and, well, it's not really out of alignment. It's in alignment to pull left. <laughs> and, and and what you want to do is take this thing down to the shop and put it up on the rack and say, I want it in alignment to run straight. And, um, you know, again, and guys, maybe I'm talking too much. Um, nope. You know, every, every, there's, a, there's a saying in the business world that every organization is in perfect alignment with the results they're currently getting. Mm-hmm. So what that's saying in the business world is if you don't like the results, don't get mad at the results. Uh, ask, what is it about your alignment that's creating those results? And so a lot of times I hear, I see planters and I see pastors who are really frustrated with the results they're getting. And, and it, it'd be like, 
you know, getting mad at the at the scoreboard at the game and saying if that scoreboard was just doing a better job, we'd be winning. Mm-hmm. Well, no, it's it, it's what you're doing on the field that's changing what's going on on the scoreboard. And so you need to ask not not what's wrong with the results, but what is it about my alignment that's creating these results, and where do I need to ask the Father to make adjustments in in those things, uh, and and so that the results might be different. Does that make make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. And when you think about Steve, when you think about coaching, and you are so helpful to us in coaching planters, um, what sometimes I think whenever people hear the word coaching, they think, oh, that's just a, that's just a new term for um, supervising. Um, but just real quickly, give me a, when we say coaching, we're not, we're not talking about supervising. We're talking about something that's, that's different, right? Right. Absolutely. And, you know, coaching for me is a discovery process. It is just exactly what I described. It's discovering what God is uniquely doing in that planter that that He's He's doing, and so I'm I'm not there to tell them how to do it. I, I'm I'm there to discover. And what's really sweet in 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 coaching experiences is when when you're sitting along with a side of planter and you're asking questions and you're digging deep and 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 you're letting them kind of go down in their own well and find out what it is that God's put there for them uh, and, and let them mine the gold out of their own mind. I mean, you know, one of the things about it is uh, I can ask questions to send a guy into his cave. Uh, I can't go with him, but I can send him there and then be there with him when he comes out to help him sort out the, what he found. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that, that's kind of what we do in a coaching session is really just kind of dig deep um, and in, into the in, into the what God has already put in you, and lower the bucket in the well, and just see what God's got there for you. And it's a whole lot different than trying to just tell people what to do. Because I, I don't. I, that's beyond my pay grade. So, um, so what I hear you saying is every planter needs a man cave. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> is, that, is that what you said? That's what I heard. That's that sounds good to me. I think you're, you know, hitting on something really important about you know, coaching. I think if we were to, you know, go around the, the podcast here, we've all had those moments of self-realization or, or uh, self-awareness that have been probably more life-changing than anything anybody's ever said to us or told us, you know. Yeah. I think that's the brilliance of coaching is that when you, when a planter comes to that conclusion themselves, the impact exactly. is 10 times as greater as if you just told them what conclusion they were supposed to come to. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, it's so fascinating when you watch that happen and, and you realize uh, I was with a guy the other day and, and he just, it's like the floodgates open and for about 20 minutes he's going on and he's saying, boy, this is so good. And, and, he, and he, he turned to me at the end of those 20 minutes and said, I'm so glad you asked that question. And I'm thinking to myself, that probably was a really good question I need to save. But for the life of me, if you <laughs> held a gun to my head, I couldn't tell you what I asked. I have no clue what I asked him. But it just, God was just there and it showed up and, and God did some great things. Yeah, just kind of just kind of modeling that. So, Chad, your story is similar, right, to Steve's. Your dad was a pastor, a fairly well-known pastor in the area that you grew up in and you probably grew up with some of the same 
feelings and expectations of what you were supposed to be or not supposed to be as a pastor's kid. And you, you know, knowing you at that time in your life, you embraced that. It wasn't like something you rebelled against. So what was, give us a moment in your life mm-hmm. when maybe somebody asked you some questions and it was a discovery process for you. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that, those are, those are, that's a really good question. You, we didn't prep for this. Uh, <laughs> if there's one thing I don't like, it's being put on the spot. Um, no, I'm, I'm kidding. I, it's funny you said I didn't rebel against that. I really didn't. Uh, I never pictured myself doing anything but ministry, but it also meant I did all my sinning at, at church, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, I, I'll never forget um, when I was sitting across from George Ross. George is the Sin City Missionary mm-hmm. for uh, New Orleans. And George and I have known each other since 1999. Um, we went on a mission trip together in Montana. And when we planted, I didn't really have a coach. We weren't really doing kind of coaching back, back in, 2010 in our yeah. in Arkansas at the time they've since done it which is great uh so I didn't really have a coach and man, I didn't have a I didn't do training I, I didn't do assessment <laughs> I just really wasn't qualified I probably wouldn't be a planter today if I had to go through all that uh but the Lord you know used this in spite of that but um but George was sitting across from me and he he started driving over from Mississippi about three hours once every few months to kind of coach me which mm-hmm. was just super generous of him. And, um, but he sat across from me and looked me in the eyes over lunch and, and we were just sitting there eating lunch. And he said, Chad, what are you repenting of right now? Mm. Man, it hit me like a ton of bricks because the first reaction I had was what's the most surfacey sin in my mind that I could come up with. And I was like, not really been in the word as much as I should be, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. but what it caused me to do was, is, I think it, it, number one, it, it, it revealed a bunch of things that I needed to repent of, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so I think that question over the years has been pretty powerful of a moment or, you know, what are you repenting of? And, mm-hmm. and, and that being asked a really tough question, but also a super helpful question. So that's just one, one story. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Well, it's been a great conversation, uh, Steve. I appreciate your time. Is there anything else that you'd want to tell church planters? I know you work with planters. So you work uh, work on our training team. Uh, d- did a great job the other day leading a session on on bold faith. Um, anything else you'd want to just tell our planters from your perspective? Yeah. It, I, I think it is just to to be faithful in the long haul. To be in this thing, it's not a sprint; it's a marathon. And to be faithful, and and the key to the prayer piece is so vitally important and just watching how, how God is at work and, and, and just to know that, that God takes us and uses us in incredible ways. I mean, it's, it's been so fun, you know, uh, Dean made a reference in the morning this, and we started this call about the coming to Whitehall there. My favorite story about Dean, I don't know if I've told you, Chad, he came as a, as a, when the OSU BSU back when we had that, he came one Sunday night to preach at Whitehall when I was pastor there. And I'll never forget about halfway through his sermon, my wife leaned over to me and said, this guy's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, she, she has incredible discernment and she spotted that a long time ago uh, from a, from a boy down in Southern Ohio that this guy's pretty good. So, 
Uh, we'll have to mine a little bit more out of you for some stories on Dean. <laughs> I'm, I'm just glad that's the one he told. <laughs> Way too complimentary, Steve. Yeah. You know, the other thing yeah. I love about Steve is just his level of generosity. I can't tell you how many times I've gotten together with Steve and I've been talking about the newest, latest book out there that I haven't read. Steve in his kindness says, hey, come out here to my car. And he opens up his trunk and he hands me a new book or he hands <laughs> Just incredibly generous, Steve. I'm super grateful for your friendship and for your ministry and investment in people's lives. Thank you. It's fun to get to hang out with you guys this afternoon. Thanks for checking out the Send Columbus podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and join us next time for another episode.